Uh, good morning, Sanctuary Church. It's so good to be with you guys. Such an honor. Thank you for inviting me to open up God's Word. Excited to uh, teach God's Word and see what God would have for us this morning. Um, this past month, if you guys have been thinking through the theme of rest, you've been spending time in the Psalms, and I, I want to carry that a little bit. I'm going to kind of shift that a little bit some as well. Uh, but the idea, the, the theme of today, what I wanted to uh, communicate and preach to you this morning was the idea of gospel hope and rest for the confused and the afflicted. Gospel hope and rest for the confused and afflicted. And as I was putting this message together, I couldn't help but think about a, uh, a fairly new Disney Marvel show. I don't know if you guys have had the chance to watch Moon Knight. And uh, what I'm going to say is a bit of a spoiler, but you've had like three months, so that's on you. But if you've watched the show at all, particularly the first episode, you're introduced to a, a guy named Stephen Grant. And as he moves the covers in that first scene, he kind of, he's in bed, he moves the covers off. You see, you learn that he's tied to a post near his bed. And as the episode continues, you learn that Stephen thinks he's a sleepwalker. So he, he ties himself to the bed so that he won't leave. We learn that he's a mild-mannered Englishman who works at a museum. He thinks he's got a very normal life, but what we soon discover is that that's simply not the case. In that first episode, 10 minutes into it, we, we find that Stephen wakes up in another city. His life is in danger. People begin to talk to him like he knows them, who he's never talked to before. Stephen finds a mobile phone in his room and a secret key that opens a door to a man named Mark. And what we discover with Stephen is that he is a no another personality, Mark Spector, that's been sharing his body with him. And we also learn that he's got disassociative identity disorder. This is a disorder in which a person can have two or more distinct personalities. And we learn in the show that DID is a result of coping from extreme and repeated trauma during childhood. Now, saints, in recent years, mental health has become much more of a conversation. You see it in movies like WandaVision and other shows, an overall awareness of the affliction and confusion, the, the difficulties that mental health can bring have increased. Our world has become much more aware and proactive as we look to fight and wrestle with these things. But a natural question that should arise, particularly for the, the Christian, is, what is the answer? Has the world found the remedy for these things? There are remedies, therapy, medication, self-help, and some of these are helpful, some of these are needed. But the question is, is there something good, something that will last for those who deal with confusion and affliction? And we know from the scriptures this is not an old issue. If you go to Psalm 88, the first few verses, you read, O oh Lord, God of my salvation, I cry out day and night before you. Let my prayer come before you. Incline your ear to my cry, for my soul is full of troubles, and my life draws near to Sheol. I am counted among those who go down to the pit. I am a man who has no strength, like one set loose among the dead. This is a psalm that comes to life, I believe, in the Gospels. And so as we look to answer the psalmist and his woes, and we look to answer the modern-day confusion and affliction that so many of us struggle and deal with, I think 
we can see an answer. We can see a hope for rest in the Gospels. And so we're going to spend some time in Mark chapter 5. We're going to read verses 1 to 20 and see if we can find a remedy to confusion and affliction. And so if you'd like to open up your Bibles to Mark 5, I'm going to read verses 1 to 20. This is the word of the Lord. They came to the other side of the sea, the disciples and Jesus, to the country of Gerasenes. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs, and no one could bind him any more, not even with a chain, for he had often been bound with shackles and chains. But he wrenched the chains apart, and he broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying and cutting himself with stones. And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him. And crying out with a loud voice, he said, What have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. For he was saying to him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And Jesus asked him, What is your name? He replied, My name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. Now a herd of great pigs was feeding there on the hillside. And they begged him, saying, Send us to the pigs, let us enter them. So he gave them permission. And the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs. And the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the sea. The herdsmen fled and told it in the city and in the country. And people came to see what it was that had happened. Then they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had the legion, sitting there, clothed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. And those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs. And they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. As he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed of demons begged him that he might go be with him. And he did not permit him, but said to him, go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And everyone marveled. Let's pray. Uh, Father, thank you for your word, praying that you bring clarity, that I would decrease and you would increase. We pray that in your name. Amen. And so just to ground you in the gospel of Mark before we jump in, uh, this is a gospel about the servant Messiah, Jesus Christ. Uh, chapter 5 begins a larger section of chapter 4 and 5 where Jesus' unique authority in word and deed is being revealed. At the end of Mark 4, if you're familiar, Jesus calms a violent storm. It's a feat that puts his disciples in fear. But we come to a different kind of storm in chapter 5, one that violently rages in the man tormented by demons, a man confused and afflicted. The question becomes, Jesus has the power to calm the storm. Does he have the power to bring calm and rest to this afflicted man? And so as we approach our text, I just want to give you kind of a guideline of how we're going to be walking through 
This is how we're going to do it. We're going to see one truth about mental health in verses 1 to 5, two realities Jesus brings to mental health in verses 6 to 13, three encouragements for the church in regards to mental health, two more realities Jesus brings to mental health in verses 11 to 17, and then one more truth about mental health in verses 18 to 20. And so one truth about mental health, the confused and afflicted. And it's that the battle with these things is real and common. As we come into chapter 5, Jesus and the disciples have made their way to the country of Gethsemane. And immediately in verse 2, we're met by a man with an unclean spirit. And it becomes very apparent to us that he is not well. His condition is horrible. He lived among the tombs surrounded by the dead. We understand that his violence was probably to himself and to others because they attempted to bind him with chains with no success. And we read that night and day, his soul was in anguish. He's crying out. He's cutting himself with stones. I'm sure if the hope to get away from it all. He was a terror to himself and to everybody else. He was cast out by all his friends, perhaps family, to be a dead man among the dead. He was alone. All that could be seen was a wild beast of a man who had to be subdued and tamed. The evil forces at work are are very reminiscent of the violent storm you read about just in chapter 4. And some of us can feel and imagine the pain and turmoil that this man is going to. Perhaps we can't have a one-to-one experience, but the lack of peaceful nights and moments, the nights ranging from terrible to awful, crying until there are no longer tears able to come, an inner pain so great that the only remedy he can think of is to bring stone to flesh. This man's mind was not a safe place and there was nothing he could do to escape. And again, though his circumstances might be unique to us, The inner torment may be familiar to many of us. Uh, Charles Spurgeon would say this, The mind can descend far lower than the body, for in it there are bottomless pits. The flesh can bear only a certain number of wounds and no more, but the soul can bleed in 10,000 ways and die over and over again each hour. I wonder if any of you have looked into the future and have seen nothing, a futureless future. Have any of you ever felt the the cold touch of depression as it creeps into your mind and takes over like a hostile invasion, reducing your desires to zero? Or maybe you've looked in the mirror and seen a project, just deformities to be fixed. Maybe the trauma of wounds inflicted to you years ago still bother you today, giving you aches and pains and groans. Anxiety that takes your breath away. The struggle with mental health is real and all too common. In an article written uh, several years ago by Joe Carter, he, he notes that nearly one in five Americans experience a diagnosable mental health disorder, amongst many other things. So this is all too common to us. And the scriptures, as we read in Psalm 88, make that clear that this is not a new issue. This is an issue as old as time, as old as sin. 
we must realize that the struggle with mental health is an attack on shalom, the peace and the rest that we're meant to enjoy in God. That the struggle with mental health is not necessarily our fault, but it is the fault of sin. And so the question for this man and the question for us is, where can we find our rest? What is our hope? Is it, again, medication, therapy, and some of these other things? And again, these things might be good and necessary for us, but often they only address underlying symptoms. We have broken bodies and broken spirits because of sin. And so how do we fix that? What is the hope and rest? And so I want to think about two realities that Jesus brings to mental health. First, that Jesus steps into our confusion and affliction. Right? Don't be confused. When we get to verse 6 of this text, we read that the man falls to Jesus at his feet. But it is not by happen chance that Jesus is there. This was all too intentional. And it had to be because Jesus had every single reason not to be here. Uh, mental health, broken bodies, broken spirits, it's a stigma today, but it was in Bible times. This is a story full of uncleanliness. This is a man with an unclean spirit. He's banished to tombs, and if you're familiar with the Old Testament law, contact with the dead meant defilement. Right? Numbers 19, 11 to 15 talked about anyone who failed to purify himself from the pollution of tombs must be cut off from Israel. In that region, there were swine herders, and in that time, there was a prescription against swine. It said, none may rear swine anywhere. And so we're talking about a man with an unclean spirit living among unclean tombs, surrounded by people employed in unclean occupations, and yet Jesus is there. He's in a place where those deemed unclean are meant to be. And yet Jesus steps into it. And it's important to see that Jesus is not deterred by your mess. Though society may look at you as simply troubled, crazy, meant to be set aside, Jesus enters and desires to enter into the confusion and affliction. He meets you where you are. In him, we learn we have a friend who, as we are reminded in Matt 9, Matthew chapter 9, comes for the sick, for sinners who have broken bodies and broken spirits. The second reality that Jesus brings is that he is the Lord in our confusion and affliction. Notice that as soon as Jesus steps out from the boat, the man falls. He runs and falls at the feet of Jesus. There is a submission here towards Jesus. The, the, the demon recognizes divine when it sees it. There would be no power struggle between Jesus and the demons. In verse 7, the demon cries out, What have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. Son of the most high God. The demons have acknowledged what we need to be reminded of as we fight and deal with the reality of our afflictions, that Jesus is sovereign over all of them. That title the demon used, it is a representation and displays the uniqueness, the divinity, 
the universality of Jesus' power. A man possessed by unimaginable amount of demons could do nothing but bow and beg and grovel at the feet of Jesus. And so as we struggle with our own confusion and affliction, we're reminded in this text that we have a friend whose power is enough for our struggles. That in Jesus, we have a Savior who comes to step into our mess and bring restoration to our brokenness. And so if that's true, if Jesus steps into our confusion and affliction, and not only that, he's Lord over it, what does it mean for us? Specifically, what does it mean for Christ's church? So I want to think about three quick encouragements for the church in regards to confusion and affliction. First, the church is Christ's means, his solution for the confused and afflicted. Family, the solution towards our confusion, our affliction, towards our struggles is in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And part of what that means is that through the church, his proclaimers, his deliverers, his uh, bringers of this message, his workers of this message, we see a solution for the confused and afflicted. That we are Christ's body. He is our head. And what that means is if Jesus steps into our struggles, then we step into one another's struggles. If Jesus is Lord of our mental health, our confliction, our confusion, our affliction, then we can step in confidently into one another's lives, knowing that we are empowered by his spirit. But we do this as the body of Christ, as the church. And so we need to take seriously the blood-bought knittedness of the body of Christ, the redeemed family of God. That God does not simply save people, but a people. And he brings us together to be one body, powered by one spirit. Yes, we join the universal church, but God intends for that to be expressed locally, like here at Sanctuary. That your place is meaningful in this body and meant to be a part of the solution and the, towards the confusion and affliction that we all experience. In Ephesians chapter 3.10, Paul says that, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God is meant to be displayed to the world. That God's purposes, his plans, his care for his people is meant to be accomplished by his power through the body, which is us, which is you and I. But two, the body must care for the confused and afflicted. So let's flesh that out. Uh, the church has often taken very extreme stances when it comes to mental health. Either we think of the issue as simply demonic in nature and attempt to sort of pray it away, leaving many devastated as they continue to struggle and misunderstand, or we only see it as chemical imbalances, trauma and disorders, ignoring the real spiritual components and dependence on the power of the spirit. And on top of that, this is not a conversation we have. We don't speak about mental illness enough. It means that our churches, and we often personally are ill-equipped to speak lovingly into one another's lives. But we have an opportunity to change. Two, with the hope of the gospel in hand, seek God's word for the power, the grace, and the peace offered 
to all of us, but for those of us who are confused and afflicted. And it begins as we care for one another, stepping into the mess like Jesus. Uh, Brene Brown defines empathy this way. Empathy is feeling with people. It's not connecting to an experience. It's connecting to the emotions that underpin an experience. And that should sound pretty familiar to you. Have you ever read Romans 12, 15? Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Our care for the confused and afflicted begins as we step into their, as we step into one another's pain. But it continues as we preach and apply the gospel to one another's lives. Now, this is why the author of Hebrews says, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another in love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. The imperative to be together facilitates the ability to actually do this caring for the body of Christ. Rest is found in the community of God. Because it's in the community of God that God chooses to come and minister to his people. Three, quickly, those confused and afflicted, this is important, are not projects to be completed. We are not projects to be fixed, but image bearers made in the glory and likeness of God to enjoy him forever and to rule as he's called us to rule. It can be so easy, a temptation for all of us, to look at those with real legitimate struggles with a kind of sympathy that simply sets them aside as useless. We wouldn't say that, but we would live that way. That you're broken, there's not much you can offer, we just want to care for you. And it is true that our mental health struggles can be a crutch, can have deliberating effects. But it's important to see that all of us who are brought into the kingdom of God by Christ are given works set aside by him for the glory of God, for the building up of the church. It's important to see that the church is not simply a safe space for them, but as God has before the foundation of the world prepared good works for them, that we are called to empower and encourage them towards that end. And so as we near the end of the text, there are two more realities I think are important to see that Jesus brings towards mental health. First is that Jesus died for the confused and the afflicted. As you read verse 8 in chapter 5, you'll see that Jesus will command the demons to come out of the man. And what we read is an interaction between the demons and Jesus, where he, they beg him to send them into the herd of pigs. Jesus allows this, and in a bizarre scene, the demons leave the man, they rush into the water, they they rush into the pigs, they rush into the water, and they drown. News travels fast, and the people come back, they they hear what happened, they want to know what's going on, and the natural question for us is, what, what happened here? And I think the response of the people gives us some insight. And that there are different ideas about what's occurring here, but perhaps their fear was motivated by economic loss. 
The loss of 2,000 pigs would have been devastating uh, for these people. Their livelihood was at stake with what Jesus just did. And you do wonder, Jesus would have understood this. Why would he allow the demons to rush into the herd of pigs, the livelihood of this town, into the water to drown, to die? And I think what we see is that in the eyes of Jesus, the rescue and restoration of one man was far more important than the vast capital that these pigs brought to this town. Compared to the redemption and rest of one human being, the loss of herd, a herd of swine, considerable financially though it was, could not compare. Friends, there is hope in the gospel for rest because of the value God has placed on you. So valuable were you in the eyes of the Father that he would send his son to save you, not by casting pigs into the water, but by putting his son on the cross so that you might have restoration and healing, so that in him you might be made new. The gospel brings a wholeness to the confused and afflicted. And this is why we can have hope because of Christ's death and resurrection. It makes a way for those of broken minds and broken bodies, broken spirits. Two, as we think about that more, that Jesus brings wholeness and rest. In verse 15, we read that the man, the same one who had legion tormenting him, was sitting there clothed in his right mind. He comes to Jesus, who is now made right what was made so wrong in his life. And he finds rest. He takes on Jesus' yoke, and he finds rest in his soul. He finds that he can find, in the midst of storms, transcending peace. And this is what's being offered to us, that we can have the voice of the great shepherd call out to us when whispers of depression come that we have the spirit who prays on our behalf but we don't have the words to speak, that we've been given the power to hold every thought captive and given over to Christ, that Christ offers us, just like this man, the ability to know that we are never alone in our hardship, that we're given clarity in confusion, relief in affliction, that in the days ahead, we know we have a friend, a savior, who is preparing a place where there will be no such thing as broken bodies and broken spirits. And he gives us generously to all who would call upon his name. But lastly, I just have one more truth about mental health in light of this text. That mental health does not define us. That our confusion, our affliction does not hold us but it is a part of our story. The man now restored, he goes to Jesus and he begs him, can I come with you? Listen to what Jesus says. He says, no. Go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And he went away and he began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him and everyone marveled. Think about that dramatic change. A dead man walking, cast away, now restored, and on mission for the gospel. 
from sleeper to preacher, the healed demoniac becomes one of the first missionaries sent out by Jesus. For those who struggle in their confusion and affliction, see that it does not define you. Jesus defines you. But this is a part of your story. Go and tell how much the Lord has done for you, how he has been good to you, how his mercies have become new for you every single morning that you are now redeemed and born again, a son and daughter of the Most High God, purposed for good works, prepared before the foundation of the world. And it's important to see that it is in this new identity that we can serve one another in our confusion and affliction. In the flesh, we are so limited to what we can offer each other. But walking in the Spirit, there is so much we have for one another. As Christ shines through us, as we take on the yoke of Jesus, his burden, we're reminded that it's easy, it's light. It's in that place you know rest, and in that place of rest that you can actually love and care for one another. Your new identity frees you so that you can help free others. And this is not a quick fix. It is a struggle, but we are given a hope in this transformation, in this identity. We're given a promise. We're given a place of rest and restoration. Realizing that our hope and rest is partially realized here, but we look ahead to a time where we'll be fully realized in Christ. But we walk with that hope. We walk in that rest, knowing that we have found a remedy to the confusion and affliction that comes at all of us at different points in our life. And so let's lean into that. Let's see Christ. Let's take his yoke. Let's not carry our own. And in that place, we can see rest for ourselves and restoration for one another. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you that as we read the psalmist in Psalm 88, who cries out day and night, seeking an answer, an answer can be found. Now, this man, possessed by legion, lived out that psalm, but that Jesus stepped into his story, that Jesus brought restoration and rest to a mind that knew nothing of peace. We pray that we would walk and experience that peace and that rest in you this morning. That whatever plagues us, whatever afflicts us, God, that you would step into it. That you would remind us of the gospel you have given us that allows us to experience something that nothing in this world can give us. True rest. As we experience that, I pray, Lord, we pray that you would help us to bring that freedom to those around us. So would you help us in that, Lord? In your name we pray. Amen.